0: Open your Bibles with me to Psalm 37 and the fourth verse. Psalm 37 and verse 4. I believe we all know the verse. It was my favorite for many decades, if it still isn't. And I'm thankful to the Lord for it, especially the first half. Delight thyself also in the Lord, and he shall give thee the desires of thine heart I hope we don't come into this verse through the back door. I want us to come into this verse through the front door. And that's the first half of the verse. Delight thyself also in the Lord. Verse three tells us to trust in him and to do good. Verse five tells us to commit our way to him and he'll bring it to pass. Verse seven tells us to rest in the Lord, but there's A commandment here that we want to emphasize and that we are emphasizing right now. And that is to delight ourselves in the Lord in the fourth verse. And it's written to each of you. It's written to me individually. Delight thyself also in the Lord. Don't just trust in Him. Don't just believe in Him. Delight. And to delight in something is to be highly pleased and to take great pleasure and rejoice in it. So I want to share a few verbs with you from the Bible that tell us that this knowledge of God should be pursued in a certain way. And the word delight is one of the verbs in the Bible that's used many times. And we'll just look at that one because we've already referred to Isaiah 58, 14 earlier this morning. Scripture commends by exhortation and reward for us to delight and glory in the Lord. And while there are many expressions in the Bible toward this end, I'm only going to give you a few. The declarations and the explanations of how we should approach the knowledge of God are mainly given in the Psalms, and does that surprise you? Because they're written by a man after God's own heart who loved to praise Him. Now the Apostle Paul would burst forth with his exaltations as well, but David was known for it, and that's why David's the Lord's great musician and the great poetry writer of the Bible. And so we see in his descriptions inspired by God that he tells us how we can know him and how we should know him. And so the first verb I give you is right here, delight. Is the Lord your delight? Is reading his word about him, I don't mean just reading his word, I mean reading his word about him, delightful to you? Do you get full of joy thinking about God? Any aspect of them is enough to bring joy to a human spirit. But delight is to be highly pleased, take great pleasure, and to rejoice in him. Enough on that verb. Let's look at Psalm 64 and verse 10 for another verb. That the Holy Spirit gives us to describe how we should look at the knowledge of God. Jeremiah 9 is the passage that tells us, Don't let the rich man glory in his riches, or the wise man in his wisdom, or the strong man in his strength, but glory in this that you know and understand me. And the word is glory there. Now glory, when it refers to God, refers to His resplendent, majestic beauty that shines like a light. But when we give God glory, we exalt Him, we praise Him, we worship Him, We exalt with the voice of triumph. We rejoice proudly. We boast in Him when we glory of a thing. The glory of a young man is His. The glory of children are there. And see, in those two comparisons, it's being excited and delighted and triumphant in this wonderful thing we've got. When a young man is feeling his oats in a mirror after he's done 50 or 100 push-ups, He's exalting in his strength. But forget all that because it's really ridiculous. And I'm just going to give you a few years and your arms are going to be the most pitiful toothpicks with skin dangling off them. And we'll have to supply oxygen to your nose because your VO2 uptake is going to be reduced to zero. So it doesn't matter. But let's glory in God. And so we have 64.10, one of many verses. The righteous shall be glad in the Lord, and shall trust in Him, and all the upright in heart shall glory. They're going to glory in the Lord, just like we're told. And I'll say again, to glory in something is to exalt, E-X-U-L-T, not to exalt a thing, it's an intransitive verb, to exalt. To be excited with triumph, to rejoice proudly, to boast. In a thing. And the Bible is filled with giving God glory. God has glory. We give Him glory when we get excited about Him. What is this thing called in our mouths our in the Bible? Glory. Our glory. Our tongues. That muscle that hangs between your upper and lower teeth because your tongue is necessary to sing and praise Him. And so it's called our glory because we should give God glory with it. Let's look at 34 in verse 2. Psalm 34 in verse 2, it shouldn't surprise you, I didn't narrow my search to the book of Psalms, it's just that this is the man that led the worship of God. Even the apostle Paul would write and say that we are to worship him with hymns and spiritual songs, but Psalms. psalms. And Paul did know who wrote the psalms, if you'll read all of Paul. He knew that David wrote the psalms. You say, well, Asaph wrote some. Yes, and who handpicked Asaph? Can you imagine being the third party at lunch with David and Asaph? Does that excite you at all? Do you know how wonderful that would be? You wouldn't want to get a word in edgewise. You'd want to hear every word that those two were saying to each other. David, Asaph, I've got the idea for a new psalm. What? What? Do you know how wonderful that would be? As David told Asaph, and then Asaph takes it and runs with it? Praise the Lord for men like that. We want to be like them. 34.2, My soul shall make her boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear thereof and be glad. When someone gets in this pulpit, and in the last year it's been Jerry Evans most of all, that's got in this pulpit, pulpit and made his boast of the Lord. What does it do to your heart? Does it lift your heart? Does it cause the humble to hear thereof and be glad? So let's magnify the Lord with me and let's exalt His name together. Look at these verbs that are used to describe the knowledge of God, being excited about that knowledge, boasting of it, being triumphant, exalting in praise. Let's look at 44 in verse 8. Just over a few pages. Let's get that same verb. 44. In verse 8, in God we boast all the day long and praise thy name forever. These are Holy Spirit inspired verbs. Do you do these things? Do you like to boast in God? It will change your life. God will be singing over you. God will be resting in love over you. God will see that and he will come and make his abode with you. Boasting. God did this. God did that. I've heard in the last... 24, 48 hours God made light before he made the sun. He made the stars also. It's like we've got a PS in the Bible. He made the stars. Do you know how many stars there are? Do you know how big the stars are? Do you know how small, ridiculously small our sun is? He made the stars also. That's boasting in the Lord. What did he do to Pharaoh in the Red Sea? What did he do to King Nebuchadnezzar, the greatest king in the earth's history? What did he do to Mary? Can you boast in the Lord? I saw Luke 149 on the blog this morning. Luke 149 The Lord is mighty and hath done great things to me. Do you know what he did? A virgin encompassed a man. Right. Get a load of that. Boasting of the Lord. The Bible tells us to do that. Lord, help us to boast more. Look at 32, 11. Psalms 32 and verse 11. Be glad in the Lord. Look at all these verses. And rejoice, ye righteous, and shout for joy, all ye that are upright in heart. There's the verb rejoice. To be glad or greatly delighted. To exalt in a thing. You said you've used that word exalt already. You bet I have. Because we're crossing over definitions now because we're using words that are synonyms or very near synonyms. And they all have to do with lifting up our voices, our hearts, and our minds and blessing and praising and worshiping and adoring and exalting and boasting and glorying and delighting in him. To boast was to speak with pride, to brag of or to vaunt on, the, on God himself. To rejoice is to be very glad and greatly delighted in him. But look at it, it says, be glad. So there's a verb construction there, to be glad. But if we come back to 21 and verse 6, Psalm 21, and it's the sixth verse. For thou hast made him most blessed forever. Thou hast made him exceeding glad with thy countenance. What made David glad? Because he was king, because he got Saul's wives, because he had a palace, because he led the army, what made him glad? Thou hast made him exceeding glad with thy countenance, the face, the smiles, the warmth of God's body language toward him. That's what the word countenance stands for, body language and facial expressions, Those blessings and shining favor of God's presence in David's life made him exceeding glad. Look at 92 and verse 4. Don't mind this. I've saved you a great deal of effort by sticking to the book of Psalms. Psalm 92 and verse 4. For thou, Lord, hast made me glad through thy works. I will triumph in the works of thy hands. We'll be back to that verse because it's got another verb. I will triumph. But notice, I want the gladness part of it right now. Verse 4, thou, Lord, hast made me glad through thy work. There is work that he does that we can see with our eyes in creation. There is work that he's done that's in the Bible, Old Testament. There's work that he's done in the New Testament. Our salvation in Jesus Christ There's work that he's done with you individually that is different from the work that he's done with me individually. And in that work, we should be glad. But it's all of him. His works reveal his character. God is not measured the way other things are measured. We want to look at his works, we want to look at his words, and we want to look at his self-revelation because God is an incomprehensible being. And so we have to go to the things that he's told us to look at, so that we can know him. And one of them is his work and his works. But he, his work of creation. Then you can look at the details of it. And so you've made me glad. Are you glad? What makes you glad? When we get to go out eat. When we get to go out and eat to eat at night, and I don't have to do the dishes. You poor thing. Can we think of something a little higher than that? Can we be glad in his work? Can we be glad in the Lord? I don't need this verse for triumph, so I'm going to turn you elsewhere. But you saw it there so that you know I'm not using them all. 47 in verse 1. Psalm 47. Oh, clap your hands, all ye people. Shout unto God with the voice of Triumph. Are you kidding? We're supposed to be shouting with the voice of triumph? Yes. When we sing, we should be singing loudly and making a loud noise to the Lord. You've heard me say it so many times before, but you know the comparison is valid. What these people will do at an athletic contest, they shout with the voice of triumph. That way you can know what we're talking about. But what are you shouting about? Some ridiculous team on that particular day? by the coincidence of things that happened and by God's disposing of events happened to win, and you call that triumph? If they were to play the next day, there is a likelihood that the roles would be reversed. Triumph. This is triumph. The Lord is always victorious. And he's victorious over every foe. Every foe that you can imagine find in the pages of Scripture, he has triumphed over foes. When you think that our political situation is hopeless, there have been political situations far worse in the history of the world, and the Lord has triumphed gloriously over them. Amen. What if a law came out tomorrow that all of us were going to be exterminated before the end of 2012? Every one of us would be killed by the decree of the government which is never altered. How do you get out of that one? Our government is so ridiculous in comparison, they alter everything all the time. But I mean, it can't be altered. Did that ever happen before? Well, that king said, I may not be able to alter it, but I can make a new decree. You Jews, just go kill everyone that was going to kill you, and you'll be okay. Is that, is that a good government? Who was sitting at his, hand, who is at his right hand? Yes. Esther the queen. So I don't care what your situation is, and we all have trying, worrying situations. God triumphs. And I love verses like this. 47, 1, oh, clap your hands, all ye people. Shout unto God with the voice of triumph. When was the last time you shouted so that your spouse looked at you like, What's, what happened to you? You say, well, they don't look at me like that because I do it every day. I'm, I'm blessed to hear it. Shout. <laughs> Abigail. Abigail. Abigail Green. Did you tell Daddy on Friday night to sing louder? Sing loud, Daddy. Daddy sing loud Good. I heard a wonderful story at break time a very distressed father sat down and sang with his daughter on friday night and the little girl said sing louder daddy sing louder he wasn't really in the mood for singing loud right then but to have a little girl looking at you and sing louder daddy sing louder i must tell jesus I must tell Jesus I cannot bear my burdens alone. And Adam was rescued somewhat on Friday evening. Thank you, Abigail. Thank you. Triumph. I love that word. Because we know what that means. Your team's winning. Do you pace yourself when your team's winning? Do you let out 70% of max volume? Or do you see if you can raise max to go to 105%? Psalm 111. Psalm 111. The works of the Lord are great. Sought out of all them that have pleasure therein. Psalm 111.2. The works of the Lord are great. In the Bible, out of the Bible, in creation, in providence, in your life. In your life circumstances, in our nation, the works of the Lord are great, sought out of all them that have pleasure therein. They are sought out. You have to go looking for them. You have to make a trip to the zoo. You have to take the time to stop and think about your past. There are events in all of our lives that are in the past that we tend to forget about because the present crowds out the past. But there are deliverances that we've had in the past. There were times you were afraid. There were times you were in trouble. There were times you didn't know what to do. And the Lord delivered you. All his works need to be sought out. And you need to take pleasure in them. Amen. You know, I know there was a trip to the zoo recently. And one of the members got the cage of monkeys seriously agitated by laughing at them. So that they could see monkeys in action. You say, who would do that? It's up to you. The works of the Lord are great, but it's worth going to look at a monkey. Who created that monkey? The Lord did. It is the Lord, and he alone. Man has no glory of his own. A robot compared to a monkey? Are you kidding me? I want to see a robot in a tree that can make me laugh like a monkey can. Mechatronics has its place. But Psalm 111 and verse 2 has its place. To take pleasure in those things, but they've got to be sought out, brethren. Look at 104. Back just a couple of pages to 104 and verse 34. My meditation of him shall be sweet. I will be glad in the Lord. Well, there's that gladness again in the second clause, but in the first clause, sweet. You think chocolate is sweet? You think sugar is sweet? Ice cream, frozen custard. We have frozen custard coming to Greenville shortly from the dairy capital of the world, Milwaukee, Wisconsin. But so what? Real sweetness is in meditating of Him. Now you've got to meditate to have the sweetness. If you say to me or you say to yourself, I've never really known the Lord to be sweet. It is your fault, not His. The sweetness of heaven and the sweetness of Jehovah And the sweetness of God has always been there. It is your fault for not meditating on Him. If you meditate on Him in a humble, prayerful, seeking way, He will be sweet to you. You can take any verse on either blog and just muse over it and meditate on it and pull it apart and look at its individual words and He can be sweet. He is sweet. It's your fault. It's my fault. When we don't have that sweetness In our lives. Look at those verbs delight, glory, boast, rejoice, to be glad, to triumph, to pleasure, and to find pleasure, and to find sweetness in Him. Look at 63 5 if you think that's the only place it says that. 63 5. I just want to multiply witnesses to you. My soul shall be satisfied as with marrow and fatness. What tastes as least as at least as good as sweetness, if not better. Fat. Fat tastes better. That's why a Nehemiah ate when they celebrated. They ate the fat and drank the sweet because the two together. Well, that's about everything we want. Fat. What attacks your taste buds more, a piece of chocolate or a piece of bacon? A good piece of sausage in the morning isn't it it can attack your taste buds and just ring just ring them the smell of it the smell of bacon in the morning and some of you would add coffee and that's okay i won't run that road coffee and ba- it's you know you know those tastes and smells but look at how the lord gets this one across to us not the word sweet but the word fatness my soul shall be satisfied as with marrow and fatness and my mouth shall praise thee with joyful lips. Do you know how much is jammed into that verse? Joyful lips. Your mouth is full of joy. You're full of praise with your mouth. It's what, Marrow is the fattest substance in an animal that we eat. In the middle of its bone. It gives flavor to the meat around it. My soul shall be satisfied. Do you, would you like to live a satisfied life at the soul level, filled with fatness and goodness, With your lips and mouth full of joyful praise? I think we need to finish the sentence to find out how. Because five doesn't end with a period. It has a colon saying, verse six is going to tell you how. When I remember thee upon my bed and meditate on thee in the night watches, that's what makes my soul fat with marrow and fatness. You can blow your mind with noise, music, television, and stuff, and never know anything that I'm talking about. In bed can be a wonderful time of talking to the Lord without interruption. And if you'll remember him, when I remember thee, he's not remembering the church, he's not remembering his parents, children, siblings, friends, companions, when I remember thee upon my bed and meditate on thee in the night watches I'm satisfied as with marrow and fatness and my mouth shall praise thee with joyful lips this is what the Bible tells us about knowing God and those verses could all be multiplied many times I got to do the selection process how do you treat a thing in which you delight in glory if you delight in glory in something and I don't even really want to say what men delight in But the Lord did in Jeremiah 9, education, athletics, financial acumen, business success, strength of body, and intellectual ability, academic achievements. So those are three things. And when you delight in something, you want to know about it as much as possible so that you can delight in it even more. You love to look at the statistics. My first motorcycle, I memorized everything about it. I could tell you the maximum torque and how many RPMs and all that ugly stuff about my first motorcycle. Why? Well, every little feature of it meant something to me because I was delighting in it. The whole point of that little illustration, which I've made recently about a car as well, but now I'm making it to you about a motorcycle I want to leave and push aside because the real issue is the Lord? Do you go after him to find out more details about him? See, maybe most people wouldn't care about the list of specifications that come with any motorized vehicle. And they have a long list of performance specifications, manufacturer specifications, ratings, dimensions, weight, and so forth. And you you filled your mind with that stuff? You're saying, yes, I was a fool. I was a fool, but I'm asking you, are you a fool today? Or are we going to spend this week without looking for the details about God? Because look what, I have a list of specifications about him. He has specifically told me by inspiration about himself. What he's done, who he is, what he's like, what he's going to do, how I can best please him, all these things are in the Bible. Are we reading the Bible looking for those verses? I'm thankful for men that told me the exercise of the blog was a good thing for their souls because it forced them into the Bible to read and to read more of it and to read more of it looking for verses that exalted God. You know, there are people that read the Bible that want to find promises for stuff they can get. We weren't reading the Bible this week to find promises of stuff we can get. We were trying to find verses that exalted Him. If you truly delight in glory in something, you want to know as much about it as possible. Were you, did you ever have the feelings or the, of love for someone and you didn't want to know everything about them? Are you kidding? You couldn't stay away from them. You wanted to know everything there was. You want to share with others the superiority of it so they can find glory in it along with yourself. When you find something wonderful about the Lord, you want to share it with someone else so the two of you can exalt together so that your boast in the Lord causes the soul of that humble to be glad. It's Malachi 3.16. They spake often one to another about the things of the Lord. When you truly delight in something, you want to tell other people about it. This is my babe. Take a look at that. You know, all this is a picture of some girl. Are you kidding me? Lord? Look at this. Look at this verse I found. And that's what all of you were doing. A number of you men were doing to me this week. Trust me, I read them all and read them again. Look what I found. Look what I found. It's wonderful. That's what we do when we're delighting in something. You want to protect it from any evil report and defend it against those who corrupt it or lightly regard it. So when anybody says anything against the God of the Bible, we want to jump in, we want to rend our clothes, and defend the integrity of the Most High God when we delight in glory in something. We want to avoid any personal behavior that could possibly offend Him or corrupt the view of Him to others. So we want to live holy lives and righteous lives so that we're adorning Him and not blotting or corrupting the idea that people have of Him because of our lives. This is something when you delight in glory in it, you're going to behave yourself in a certain way. You want to be around it and consider it as much as possible so as to maximize your pleasure. You don't want to be far from it. That's why David did not like running from Saul and being among the Philistines because he wanted to be back at the house of the Lord. And do you want to be in the house of the Lord? You know, you do these things automatically to something that you delight in glory in. And it's just useful for us to think about it relative to the Lord. I want to find out as much as I can about Him so I can glory in Him more. I want to share it with others. I want to protect Him from every evil report and defend His integrity and the perfections that the Bible tells me about Him. I want to avoid any personal behavior to blot His glorious image. And I want to be around Him as much as possible. Amen. Amen. Let's do that. What will you do starting today? The creation reveals His glory, His eternal power, and His Godhead. His humor, his creativity, some of the flowers, the little tiny ones, the giant ones. I've just seen pictures in the last eight days of redwoods from California. Redwoods where eight adults held hands like this, and they only covered the diameter of the tree, not the circumference, the diameter. Sister, remember some of those trees? God made that tree. And then God makes little tiny flowers that if you get a magnifying glass or a, or a microscope and you look at that little tiny flower in detail, the power of God to make perfect details in something very small that reproduces itself by sunshine and mud, all glory to God. Oh, yeah. Who is the Lord? Who is Who flung the stars out into space and did all those things? A trip to the zoo, a planetarium, an aquarium... You know, there was an effect from a planetarium, wasn't there? What's the name of it, brother? The known universe. Go home and, and Google the known universe for a YouTube click, clip, clip of the size of our universe. It's going to start with the Himalayas. You think they're big? Well, you're going to back out just a little ways until the whole Earth disappears. Then our solar system disappears. Do you ever do anything like that? You too busy? Too busy making a few bucks over minimum wage? Everybody in here is just making a few bucks over minimum wage. Is that what you're doing with your... You know, what are you going to do? Creation. The Lord... What did the Lord do to Job? Was Job a wise man? Or was Job an idiot? Was he basically illiterate? And so God was telling him about the horse that he had never heard of before? Why did God bring up the horse? Because Job hadn't heard about it or because Job had heard about it and stopping to think about the horse brought glory to God? Amen. What about an ostrich? Was that a new creature to Job or was it an old creature to Job that Job could immediately remember that ugly, beady head? I deprived it of wisdom. I made it stupid. But I also made it faster than a horse. why did God do that with Job because if you think that I'm being childish by recommending that you consider some of those things you are wrong the great God of heaven came right down and talked about rain water in the clouds ice snow thunder other creatures he can make the surface of a lake Like a stone. I used to skate across them. Glory. What are you going to do? How about his providence? Psalm 34 and verse 8. Psalm 34 and verse 8. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. You've got to taste. And he's made so many things. For the literal word taste... Now, David did not mean the literal literal word taste here to be the only thought that comes into our mind. It's experience. You have to experience. Oh, experience and see that the Lord is good. Taste it. The food that he's given us. We have a greater variety than anyone has ever had. You know, we're going to have frozen custard in this city soon. And I want to tell you it's different than ice cream. If you don't know better, ice cream is made out of air. And that is why it melts so fast. And the cheaper your ice cream, the more air is blown into it. The more expensive your ice cream, the more fat and the less air. That makes it more dense so that you have more flavor per square centimeter of your tongue. But custard crushes ice cream. Custard looks like concrete in a cup. It it feels like concrete in a cup because its density is so much greater. But, you know, we can do this with every food item. We've talked before about how many variations of flavor are there in yogurt at Publix. What is the number now? It's triple digit. The biggest problem shopping today is what in the world do I get? Because I've got a hundred varieties. You know, in the old days there was chocolate, vanilla, and Neapolitan. And now it's unbelievable. You know, there was Wheaties, there was Cheerios, and grape nuts that weren't grapes or nuts. And you hardly had anything to pick from. But now you go down, I don't even go anymore, I haven't gone in years but you go down those aisles and it just blows your mind. And if frankenberry makes you taste and see that the Lord is good, then buy yourself a box of frankenberry. The Lord's given us these things. Right. He said marrow. He said fatness. He said, I send rain to fill your hearts with food and gladness. He said it, not me. I'm not going beyond scripture. I'm trying to help you apply scripture. Right. Every meal. Every meal. That food we had on Wednesday evening, the food that was available today, so wonderful. Taste and see that the Lord is good. And it goes beyond that. How about music? How about your ears and the sounds? You know, it is, it is surprise. It's not surprising to me, but in the last week or two to be considering this subject and the number, the amount of thunder we've had in the last 10 days is pretty high percentage compared to normal. I wish it was a little closer. I don't like it at a distance. I don't like being able to count 1,001. I want to hear the thunder before I see the lightning. And when that happens, it's good. It's real good. But you know the Lord's done all these things. The smells. I mentioned bacon and coffee, and you know instantly. Ointment and perfume rejoice the heart. The Bible says that, and we ought to rejoice in tasting and seeing that the Lord is good. Everything. Psalm 107, the whole thing is, you know, I can't read all of Psalm 107 to you, but if I if I just say one verse, you're gonna know what Psalm I'm talking about. Psalm 107. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works, the children of men. Exclamation point. It's verse 8, it's verse 15. It's verse 21. It's verse 31. And that chapter goes through tasting different things, like being on a ship in a storm and getting to your desired haven. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for His goodness. I did. I kissed the deck. I have witnesses. Then I overate from having vomited the last two days out there. But anyway... Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good, and you look into your life, and you think about how the Lord has gathered people out of the lands in verse 3 of this psalm. Those that do their business in great ships, they reel to and fro, and they beg God for mercy. I've had so much pleasure this past week in Jonah chapter 1, those pagan mariners that were with Jonah, they feared the Lord exceedingly. Why? Because our God is able to accomplish so many things at one time. He was chastening his servant Jonah, and he was converting the sailors on that ship to know that there was a God. Because Jonah said in the ninth verse, I am a Hebrew. I am nothing like you men. I worship the true and living God that created the heavens and the earth and the sea. Throw me over, and everything's going to be fine. And they rode, and they rode. They didn't want to throw him over, but they had to, because the Lord just... Raised the intensity a little bit, and they threw him over. Immediately, there was a great calm, and it says they offered sacrifices and vows. And what does that do to? Listen, I, I'm physically affected just telling you about it, and I've been in the chapter all week. I wanted to post the whole thing, and you say, "Well, it's not all that special." Oh, it was special to me. These pagan mariners, they didn't—they met Jehovah. And in a storm, we should meet Jehovah. Brethren, there's a need to be quiet and still. Be still and know that I am God. That's 46.10. God is in his holy temple. Habakkuk 2.20. Let all the earth be still before him. Psalm 4-4. Stand in awe and sin not. Commune with your own heart upon your bed. That's being quiet and still in your life. You have got to have time where activities and the thoughts of those activities are flushed so that you can be still and quiet and meditate upon the Lord. Amen. This is how we do it. What will you do starting today is my question to you. What will you do starting today? Creation, his providence, taste and see, to be quiet and still so that you can think upon God. Psalm 143, read to us last Sunday. Psalm 143 in verse 5, look at these three verbs. I remember the days of old. Psalm 143, 5. I remember. You have to remember. Do you know how frail our memories are? Yeah. Listen, were there times you were very afraid? Yeah. Heidi. Did he deliver you? He will yet deliver you. Remember, there were times I was very afraid. I never thought I would see my 26th birthday. My wife knows exactly what I'm talking about. I remember his works of old, but I don't remember them enough. He has always delivered me. I never thought I would be 26, and that means that this church would not be as large as it is. I meditate on all thy works. I muse on the work of thy hands. There are three verbs. You have to remember, you have to meditate. That means to slow down in your thinking about it, and to muse is to an extended thought process of deliberating on something. And brethren, those of you who already know where I'm probably going to go, please forgive me, but I have a church here with a lot of young members. An amusement park. Letters two through five are muse, M-U-S-E. M-U-S-E is used right here to think, to consider, to reflect on a matter. An amusement park is amuse. A theist is someone who believes in God. An atheist, with an A in front of it, is someone who doesn't believe in God. To muse is to think about important things. To amuse is to do something that has no thinking involved. Right. An amusement park is where you go where there's so much noise and so much activity, there's no thinking. And that's what the whole world wants. You know, now there's, there's radios in our, in our buggies that we ride in. They're called Cars. Uh, forget radios, nobody even uses the radio anymore because they've already got something plugged in that they slept with all night and they live with all day and an mp3 player, it's better than that now it's, it's iPhones and it's iPads and it's this and it's that and noise but how can you muse? there's a verse, so we've got to do these things And the Lord wants us to do these things. And there are many verses on this about meditating and musing. Meditation is so important to stop, to slow down, to actually think. Don't just read the words in rote. That doesn't mean anything to God. It's of no profit to your soul to rip through a chapter of the Bible. Take one verse. If you read one verse a day and meditate and mused on it, it would be better for you than reading a chapter if you just read a chapter to get a chapter out of the way. Meditate on it. Muse on it. Think about it. Pull it apart. I remember the days of old. Just take the word days of old. I'm cold. I haven't prepared days of old. The days of old in my life. How about the days of old in my grandfather's life who isn't here, who was a devil worshiper? I remember the days of old. How about the old days in the Bible? I remember the days of old. I go back and get whatever is old where God was at work and I rejoice in him. I meditate on all thy works. Do you know what God did? He saved a devil worshiper for my benefit. And your benefit. And the benefit of many. I meditate on all thy works. I muse on the work of thy hands. And he's let let others go. You can take that muse and think about creation, providence, or your own life, your own family history. But there it is in one verse, three verbs. If we don't do those verbs, we're never going to get anywhere in knowing God like we could and should. Look at 77, Psalm 77. I just want to show you. This particular thought is throughout the Bible, especially in the Psalms. I just want to show you another quick one Psalm 77, verse 11 I will remember the works of the Lord. I will remember the works of the Lord. Psalm seventy-seven, eleven. Surely, I will remember thy wonders of old. I will meditate also of all thy work and talk of thy doings. That is what we have to do in our 168 hours a week, our 1,440 minutes a day. We must move on. Let's look at Psalm 104 and verse 31. 104 and verse 31. 31, God's works need to be known. They need to be shared among us. They need to be remembered. Verse 31, the glory of the Lord shall endure forever. The Lord shall rejoice in his works. The Lord rejoices in the horse. We should rejoice with him. The Lord rejoices in what he's created, whether it's depriving an ostrich of wisdom or giving a horse thunder on its neck. Do you know what that thunder on its neck is? Do you know what the voice of the Lord is that causes the hinds to calve and shaketh the cedars of Lebanon? Do you know all those things? Do you know the sweet influences of Pleiades? Do you know the constellations mentioned in the book of Amos and their unique characteristics? The Lord rejoices in his works. We should rejoice in them. So this is one of those verses of many that tell us to speak and talk of all His works. Look at 111, since it's close by. Psalm 111. We've already had verse 2. But see, I want you to look at a different word in verse 2. The works of the Lord are great, sought out of all them that have pleasure therein. We went after the word pleasure. Now I'm coming back to the same verse the works of the Lord. But the only way you get the works of the Lord and find out how great they are is to seek them out. Is to seek them out. Verse 3, His work is honorable and glorious. Everything the Lord has ever done is honorable and it is glorious. The drowning of the Egyptian army in the Red Sea was honorable because that's what they deserved. After the way they had treated the church of God and after their leader had said, Who is the Lord that I should obey Him? And it's glorious in the way He did it. He didn't just let that water come back over the Egyptian army. He took the wheels off their chariots so they could think about the water coming back over their army. And you can do this with everything you've ever known. He's honorable and glorious. In World War II, were there more believers in Jehovah on the Allied side or the Axis side, is if there's any question in your mind, you are a historical idiot. Neither Germany nor Japan knew anything about Jehovah. And so his work at Midway and his work at Dunkirk was honorable and glorious. And though we had many sins that we should be that we should have been confessing and repenting as nations in the Second World War, the Lord made a difference and pounded that atheistic, ridiculous nation. Two of them. There's no nation on earth that sees a better sunrise every day than the nation of Japan. It is called the land of the rising sun because the Pacific Ocean is the landscape, the oceanscape, For that sunrise every day, they know it so well, their flag is nothing but a sun. But they have less knowledge of Jehovah than almost any nation on earth. When the tsunami hits that nation, it doesn't surprise me at all, and his work is honorable and glorious. You say your crew, say whatever you want. You're ignorant of the Bible, start reading it so that you can get your mindset changed. Many of his works are found in Scripture because he's written them down for us. Thank you, Lord. Where can we behold the works of the Lord? So many of them are right here in this history book, this fabulous history book. The story of David and Goliath, the Holy Spirit gave it a chapter. Mm -hmm. It's a wonderful chapter to read. Solomon's dedication to the temple, when the Lord came down and filled that temple with glory so that the priests could not minister. They didn't need to minister. Who lit that fire? The God of heaven dropped fire straight out of heaven and burned up 120,000 sheep and 22,000 oxen. That's a bigger ox roast than you've ever been to. The last ox roast you went to, there was one ox, or maybe a half, or maybe a quarter. You say, is that how? Yes. The details. The details. The horsepower at what RPM? What has God done? It's his works. And they're recorded for us in Scripture. And why do we come to this church? To stand together or to sit together and to sing all people that on earth do dwell. Because we come into his sanctuary. I'm going through the things. What will you do starting today? To know God better. We come into his sanctuary. 63 in the book of Psalms. 63, his sanctuary, his house, his church, where we worship him. Verse 1, O God, thou art my God. Early will I seek thee. Look at a man going after the Lord, a psalm of David, when he was in the wilderness of Judah. O God, thou art my God. Early will I seek thee. My soul thirsteth for thee. My flesh longeth for thee in a dry and thirsty land where no water is, to see thy power and thy glory, so as I have seen thee in the sanctuary. Where had David seen the power and the glory of the Lord? In the sanctuary. David didn't have Solomon's temple. David had something far inferior to that. David only had a tent that was set for the Lord, but there he heard the priests read the scriptures. He heard the priests explain the scriptures. He saw the ark. He saw the altar of God that by God's own design, and he saw the power and glory in the things that he could witness there. And why was it important for him to be in the sanctuary? Because of verse three, because Thy loving kindness is better than life. My lips shall praise thee. The loving kindness of God is better than life. No wonder someone can die as a martyr for the cause of the Lord Jesus Christ and Jehovah his Father. The sanctuary. It's boasting of him to others so that we encourage each other in the Lord. Look at 70 and verse 4. 70 and verse 4. We've already used boast from two places, 34-2 and 44-8. How about 70 and verse 4? Let all those that seek thee rejoice and be glad in thee, and let such as love thy salvation say continually, let God be magnified. That's from the Bible. David here is saying, let everyone that truly fears you and seeks you and rejoices in you and loves your salvation say continually, Do you know that if we said continually to each other, let the Lord be magnified, it'd be good for us. Let the Lord be magnified. Oh, he will be. But we want to let him be magnified by magnifying him ourselves. And then, brethren, we celebrate the glory of God and his goodness, and it's a principle of the Bible. Look at Deuteronomy 14. You know where I'm going. Deuteronomy chapter 14, we celebrate it. The Thanksgiving day of this country is such a wonderful holiday in what we did in years gone by and generations past, to have a feast and to thank God and to praise Him by preparing things that we otherwise wouldn't prepare, by preparing more than we would ordinarily prepare, by eating and drinking more than we would normally, and doing it in the name of the Lord, we should celebrate. Deuteronomy chapter 14 and verse 26 10% of gross income from this agrarian society was to be spent on celebrating, to be spent on a vacation. Deuteronomy 14, 26, and thou shalt bestow that money, 10% for whatsoever, you can read it in the context, for whatsoever thy soul lusteth after, get whatever you want. For oxen, that's steak, or for sheep, that's leg of lamb, or for wine, or for strong drink, or for whatsoever thy soul desireth, and thou shalt eat there before the Lord thy God, and thou shalt rejoice thou and thine household. There is a time for a meal that's more expensive than you would ordinarily spend money for, and while you're doing it, pick, pick the things off the menu that you delight in, and it is a gift to the Lord. It's for the Lord. It's to rejoice with your family before the Lord. I've taught all this before, we've practiced all this before, but I want you to know that it's there in the Bible. And I want you to think about it being one more component in how do I know God and how do I glorify God and how do I adore Him and worship Him the way that the pastor's trying to move me. This is one of the ways. You say that's the Old Testament. Oh, is that what you want to pull on me? How much if I show it to you in the New Testament. Right. And they ate their meat with gladness from house to house. What do you think they were doing? The same kind of a thing. Why is it called a feast of charity in Jude, verse 11, of that one chapter book? The feast of charity, where you would buy and prepare things for those that, couldn't, they, that they couldn't afford. It's Nehemiah chapter 8, applied all over again. Eat the fat and drink the sweet. So we have mirth feasts from time to time. We have feasts of charity, call it whatever you wish. Mirth from Nehemiah 8, feasts of charity from Jude. But that's how we celebrate the Lord's goodness. What was Jesus in Jerusalem for in the winter when he was in Solomon's porch? It's called the Feast of Lights. It's also called Hanukkah. And what is that feast for? It's only, it was started in about 167 B.C. by the Maccabees for having recovered the temple out of the hands of the pagan and profane Antiochus IV. There was Jesus at a feast, not prescribed in the Bible, but not proscribed in the Bible either, celebrating God's goodness to that nation. And so we love Thanksgiving because it's so scriptural. It's so godly. And it has no pagan Roman Catholic origin at all. Okay, what did we just cover? The creation? Where are you going to take a look at it? The known universe in a Google search box. His providence, taste and see that the Lord is good. You've got to be quiet and still. Do you have any minutes allocated out of your day to be quiet and still, to meditate and muse on God. Do you look for his works in your life, in the Bible, in history? Why did I mention Dunkirk and Midway? Because everyone knows that something strange happened there and a whole lot of other places as well in different wars. We go to the scriptures to find it described there. We come into the sanctuary to hear the singing and the praying and the preaching and the reading of God's word. We boast of him to others and we want to be around those that boast to us so that it lifts our soul in the Lord we celebrate His glory and His goodness by enjoying the things that He's given us all to Him, that He made it. He gave us the taste buds to enjoy it. He provided the means to afford it. All of it is of Him. Acquaint now thyself with Him and be at peace and thereby good shall come unto thee. May the Lord bless you this week to know Him, to know Him better, to learn of Him, to pray, Lord, show me thy goodness. And that is where we get started, by telling him that we're going to draw nigh to him in the way that his Bible tells us, but we're asking him to show us his glory. May the Lord be praised.